0: The movie Disenchanted brings back Amy Adams and Patrick Dempsey in the continuing story of a cartoon princess making a life in the real world. A follow-up to 2007's Enchanted, it has more songs, more gags, and more of the conflicts between fairy tale life and reality that animated, so to speak, the original. I'm Linda Holmes, and today we're talking about Disenchanted on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. NPR.
1: The day's top headlines, local stories
0: from your community, your next podcast binge listen. You can have it all in one place, your pocket. Download the NPR app today. Joining us today is NPR contributor Serena Toros. Hi, Serena. Hey, Linda. (laughs) Enchanted, which came out in 2007, was the story of Giselle, who lived in a cartoon world as a cartoon princess, but owing to some various shenanigans, she found herself abruptly in the very real New York City. Played by Amy Adams, she sang and danced with her animal friends, just like any Disney princess, and she even found a prince. His name was Robert, he was played by Patrick Dempsey, and he was a regular New Yorker and single dad— who took a while to get used to this very unusual woman but could ultimately not help falling in love with her, obviously. Now we find Giselle and Robert moving to the suburbs, Gasp, with their daughter Morgan, played by Gabriella Balticino, who's now a moody teenager. Giselle encounters a new kind of evil queen, Malvina, the neighborhood mom, played by Maya Rudolph, who looks down on this newcomer and her, shall we say, strange ways. There are more songs, once again, by Alan Menken and Stephen Schwartz, and James Marsden and Edina Menzel return as Prince Edward and his now-beloved Nancy, who still live in the fairy tale land of Andalasia. Disenchanted is streaming now on Disney+. Serena Toros, what did you think of Disenchanted? Man,
1: what can I say? Gowns. Beautiful gowns. Yes! <laughs> oh.
0: Reasonable. <laughs> And true.
1: I mean, I come to you, Linda, as I often do on this show, with a great capacity for love, mm-hmm. but with a sacred duty as a hater. Mm-hmm. My first reaction in seeing this trailer come out, uh, having been a big fan of the original movie, I went and saw it in theaters when I was a kid. Uh, I think for my birthday, actually. Loved that film. But I kind of was like... I don't know that we need a sequel, which is often yeah. my gut instinct to what Disney does these days. We don't need a sequel. We don't need a remake. Mm-hmm. But I was willing to give it a chance because it seemed like maybe they were going to take it in this kind of adult midlife crisis direction of they got there happily ever after in New York. And it turns out that it's not so ever after. Right. Into the Woods Act 2. Precisely. But I wonder if they wanted this movie to be very camp and very silly, and very fun. It's certainly very colorful. Mm -hmm. But what they kind of missed the mark on, I think, were the emotional beats. I feel like if you go super camp, you really don't have to pay attention to what the plot is doing, as long as the characters are having fun, and you're getting silly lines. But I feel like they really were trying to give it an emotional core, and I just don't think the stakes were set up in a way in which I really was invested, I cared, I understood what was happening. I mean, I think... Amy Adams here is great. Like, to think about her uh, doing this role, this very, like, wide-eyed, innocent person, in contrast to something like Sharp Objects, which is one of the best things I've ever seen her do. Right, right. Like, she definitely has a lot of range, and she's having fun with this, I think, but it just doesn't feel like she was in the same movie as a lot of the other characters. I think the only person meeting her where she was at was James Marston. For sure. Criminally underused. I was like, give me two hours of James Marston reading lines for this character and nothing else. Yes. This movie would have been more interesting. It's just like a blooper reel and I don't think it really had enough of an emotional plot for me to really care about what was happening into it at all. Yeah. Yeah. I think we had many of the same reactions
0: because, look, there are some people here who I admire very much doing some of the things that they're good at. I agree with you about Amy Adams. You know, I will watch Maya Rudolph in just about anything. Oh, for sure. You know, she always really puts a spin on basically anything you ask her to say. She's a delight in that way. And as you said, with James Marsden, I have always felt like he is the best part of the first movie for me also, just the funniest part of it, because Mm -hmm. he's so weird. Robert! (laughs) (laughs) Congratulations on the increasing size of your progeny. Thank you, thank you. Uh, Your dwelling, uh, are you poor now? Edward! Mm, No, we're not poor. And it is really (laughs) difficult to come into a movie and be appealingly, sincerely weird in a way that doesn't feel completely distracting. I think the problem, as you said, is the entire setup of this story. Because essentially, Enchanted is a fish out of water story. It's almost like Splash. You know, you have (laughs) this woman who's in this unfamiliar environment and nobody understands her and she doesn't understand them. And so the problem is when you suggest that that fish has been out of the water and has not changed at all, it's not the same story. Like when I started watching this movie and I realized that this poor teenage kid (laughs) is still having to explain to her mother what sarcasm is. I just thought, this has to have been a long upbringing.
1: She sometimes says one thing and means the opposite.
0: (laughs) I can never tell. In no way has Giselle adjusted to the world that she lives in. And I think it would be more interesting to see her, as you said, sort of midlife crisisy, y And, like, look, I'm not talking about doing, like, a Fleischman is in trouble <laughs> Disney movie, like, midlife crisis-wise. But I think if you showed that she, like, sort of was adjusted but had, like, maybe a yearning for her old life or something like that, I found it almost, like, disturbing to think of her still running around exactly the same. How does she not get scammed out of everything she owns every other day because she still (laughs) has no idea how the world around her works. In that sense, it is a challenging setup. And then they sort of shift the emotional focus to the daughter. I feel like Patrick Dempsey plays kind of no role in the emotional story here at all. Yes. (laughs) He's the husband and he's the father and he does stuff. But like, Does he have a role in this emotional story at all? And yet, as you say, here comes James (laughs) Marsden, just sort of with the whole thing that he does. And I could have, you know, just like you, I could have watched two hours of it. What did you think
1: of the music? I mean, at a lot of points in this film, I like to do this thing. I think music is way overutilized these days. I think we talked You know, last time we spoke uh, was about Do Revenge and the way that that uh, film successfully used music, even though there was a lot of it. Yeah. And so I often think, what would this scene be doing if there was no music whatsoever? And I just was cringing out of secondhand embarrassment, imagining these actors having to deliver these lines with no music underneath whatsoever. Yeah. And... I was surprised how unmoved I was by the music, because I really revere Alan Menken and Stephen Schwartz as some of our greatest living composers and lyricists. Absolutely. And, I mean, you think Schwartz, you think Wicked, you think... Pippin. Yes. Uh, you think Alan Menken, he did the music for Little Mermaid, a lot of these Disney Renaissance movies of the 90s, and... I felt this was just very serviceable. Maybe that was the point of it. it was supposed to sound like everything else and maybe not have a lot of personality to it. I think the only song that really stood out for me at all was Batter. Equal me as a
0: of
1: that was the high point of the whole movie for me. I was like, give me... 90 minutes of this and nothing else. I wasn't quite sure how you could shoot that scene and edit that scene and look at the rest of the film and not immediately want to go back to reshoots and say, we missed the mark. This is what it should have been.
0: Right. This song has everything going for it, right? Amy Adams, Mm -hmm. Maya Rudolph, you know, very swirly, lots of words, lots of quick back and forth. And yet I still felt like this song is like a (laughs) B. And I felt like, how is this song a B when it has so much going for it? And I don't know the answer, but I think it's the only one that really left any impression on me at all. You know, it's as you say, it's almost like they're intentionally generic because they're sort of supposed to feel like Disney musical songs that going about her day, the stuff when she's doing the big performance in the town and all of those kinds of things... And it does feel sort of obligatory.
1: Yeah. I was surprised how weak it felt. The problem with the music is the problem with the movie at large, where it's a flawed premise to start with because the original one was so much of like a wink and a nudge to these tropes of Disney princesses and fairy tales, very much kind of in reaction, I think, to the success of Shrek at the beginning of the decade of the 2000s and the rise of DreamWorks and that kind of like sarcastic, smarmy, you know, smartass sort of tonality. And so the first one did that. And so I don't know how you Wink and a nudge a layer on top of that, unless you are being very, very smart and crafty. And this does just kind of feel more like a cash grab. Yeah.
0: You mentioned Do Revenge, and I think in some ways it falls into this category as well. It's hard to be both the thing and a send up of the thing. Mm -hmm. That's sort of what Do Revenge is. It is a teen high school thriller, but it's also kind of a riff on high school thrillers. And the Enchanted was both, you know, it is a Disney princess musical, and it's also kind of sending up Disney princess musicals. I enormously admire people who manage to pull that off. It's also a little bit what a mystery movie like Knives Out is. It's, mm-hmm. it's sending up those tropes, but also being a satisfactory version of the thing. And I don't think this really works either as a sincere version of the story they're trying to tell. Or a take on the story they're trying to tell. And I think Enchanted, the they got kind of both of those things right. They managed to tell the love story and also kind of make fun of the cartoon squirrels and birds and all of that kind of business and how funny it would be to see that with a live person and transplanted to New York City. I'm not sure what this is sending up anymore, mm-hmm. is part of the problem. It's also a
1: classic New York movie, Enchanted, of mm-hmm. like James Marston is not really a fish out of water in New York because the joke was that a lot of people are just weird like that yeah. in certain places. Yeah. And I don't know that it tapped into the same sort of like ooze when it came to movies about suburbia and like what are the themes and and tropes are when it comes to movies like that. Yeah, you have kind of like the PTA mom crew of Maya Rudolph right. and Jayma Mays and Yvette Nicole Brown. They also didn't really get much to do though. I think you you're right too that they don't really know what relationship they want to put as the A plot and then exploring the others kind of like in their correct functions. I think this movie would have been really interesting if it was mainly about Amy Adams and Maya Rudolph going head to head. It would have been mostly interesting if it was about, you know, the daughter and the stepmom. I think the stepmom turn was clever. right? But it, I think it was also jarring, too, to think that that first movie was so much about finding love and that relationship between Amy Adams and Patrick Dempsey. And then here, they had like one kiss on screen that seemed very forced and they really walk away from it. Yeah. Yeah, they don't have much interaction at all. That makes me think that these are two people who are very in love and continuing to to grow and appreciate and like each other, right?
0: Well, the other thing about the daughter, about the character of Morgan, um, is that you know I think that performance from Gabriella Balcino is fine, mm-hmm. but everybody else in the movie is so heightened in a certain way. She, you know, Giselle is obviously Maya Rudolph is James Marsden is everybody is heightened and kind of odd. And they chose to make this teenager really a kind of a super ordinary, like, high school student, not very well defined, not very well delineated from other high school students you have seen in other movies. And despite the fact that she's defined by kind of her, you know, her desire to not live in the suburbs, she's defined by her you know, somewhat troubled relationship with her mom. But I think in this world of really super colorful, heightened characters, she becomes too flat to interact with all of those people. I feel like she would have picked up more oddity from her mom
1: by the time
0: she was this old.
1: It felt very like Disney Channel writing, where the teenagers, you know, put on an attitude just to be sassy, not for any sort of like real deep emotional reason. Right. And one of the tricks
0: to a sequel, I think, particularly a sequel that has such a long lag between the chapters where everybody has gotten much older, is that you have to figure out what story can you tell where people will understand what has happened in the interim? Because this is a family where, you know, as I mentioned at the top, Giselle has really not adjusted to the world she lives in at all and that's okay she can still be the way she is but it's not clear to me how as you mentioned how has that relationship between her and morgan developed over time you know what i mean one of the things i like about the film is its full embrace of the idea that yes that's her daughter and yes that's her mom but like the idea that they've kind of never talked about that before surprised me at the age that this kid is. The gap in time doesn't seem to me like I fully understand what what went in that gap. Mm-hmm. I think my final verdict is the same as yours, which is certain things I was happy to see again because they're fun, but I don't think we needed this. Well, we want to know what you think about Disenchanted, which is on Disney Plus now. Find us at Facebook.com slash PCHH. That brings us to the end of our show. Serena Torres, thank you for being here with me as always. Oh, it was delightful, Linda. Thank you. (laughs) And of course, thank you for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. If you have a second and you're so inclined, sign up for our newsletter. That's at NPR.org slash Pop Culture Newsletter. This episode was produced by Candice Lim and edited by Jessica Reedy. Audio engineering was performed by Josephine Neonai. I'm Linda Holmes, and we will see you all tomorrow. There's a lot to stay on top of on any given day. You might have to break things down into smaller pieces in order to keep up. That's why we're introducing the new Consider This newsletter from NPR. Every weekday, we sift through all the day's news and bring you one big story in an easily skimmable format. So you become a mini-expert on a major topic each day. Sign up for free at npr.org slash newsletter. Every weekday, NPR's best political reporters come to you on the NPR Politics Podcast to explain the big news coming out of Washington, the campaign trail and beyond. We don't just want to tell you what happened. We tell you why it matters. Join the NPR Politics Podcast every single afternoon to understand the world through political eyes.